The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. In 2020, looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Breakthrough on Capitol Hill. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. And we are awaiting President Trump's daily coronavirus task force. Briefing sets to begin momentarily. You can listen to that here live on Bloomberg 99.1. But to keep you waiting, we have an all-star panel to help navigate through another dizzying day of news. I was speaking with lawmakers all day, folks, and I'll bring you my reporting on that front as well. Likely going to get this done by the end of the week. Congressman French Hill is going to kick things off for us. So first... The bill. Still awaiting the bill on the coronavirus. Congressman French Hill is on the line, Republican from the great state of Arkansas. Congressman, take us up to speed. What's the timeline of this thing getting on the president's desk? We are waiting, as you say, for that final document that the Senate's going to vote on. Uh, House Republicans have been meeting all afternoon reviewing drafts of that text as revised by the Senate. Uh, House Democrats are going to meet this evening and do the same. So we're pouring over it. I hope that we get a Senate vote today and a House vote tomorrow, maybe tomorrow evening. And again, as you and I've talked, speed is of the essence for so many of our businesses. And I, I'm sorry that we didn't get this done over last weekend. You know, it's it's really nonsensical to me, Congressman. And and, and forgive me as I as I critique respectfully the Beltway vibe and the Beltway scene. And you and I have talked about yep. this offline, but. Restaurants are getting pummeled, but it's it's more than that. You know, I come from suburban Philadelphia. Refineries are getting pummeled. Uh, small businesses are getting pummeled. Teachers are. I mean, everyone cannot escape this. It's it's really hard to articulate to people who, quite frankly, weren't raised this way. But people are having to make unthinkable decisions that they weren't having to make two weeks ago, which is should you get furloughed or should you get laid off? And that economic anxiety, coupled with the in action by not you, but several leaders who aren't forcing a vote. I mean, from your end, is that not frustrating you that 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 this wasn't voted on yesterday or even tonight? You know, this drives me mad. I've been in I was in business 30 years before right. I was in the House of Representatives, including living through the financial crisis as a community banker waiting on the votes in the House and the Senate. So I understand this dynamic and it frustrates me to death that on Saturday, at the cusp of getting a good bill passed, not a perfect bill, just a good bill on a bipartisan basis, that we had forces from outside, Speaker Pelosi, blow it up and get it off track Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. So let's face it, we're on track now, my fingers are crossed, and I hope we get it to the finish line because, as you say, our nonprofits, our small businesses, our restaurants, our bars, everybody is bearing the brunt of this. And if we had gotten that liquidity money passed over the weekend, we might actually be distributing it now so people don't have to make that tough decision 
of being laid off and going to the unemployment system versus staying at work and being paid by their employer. Yeah, it's 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 really hard for me to to stay respectful and do this program when I know uh, it's it's beyond words. But t- tell where should people go if you're a small business owner, if you're a medium sized business owner, who do you pick up the phone and who do you call to get on top of this? All of the other that all of the tools that are in the in the arsenal now in the toolbox, so to speak, in this bill. Who should people call so that they make sure that they're on top of this? It's more than just getting a check in your bank account. If I was if I was still in my running my small business, I'd call my accountant and sort through the benefits of uh, the net oper- operating loss carry forward changes. The fact that I don't have to pay payroll taxes between now and the end of the year potentially. The fact that I have a way to pay for uh, a, a family leave for my employees that are off because of quarantine or watching kids. The yep. second call I'd make is to my banker saying, on my immediate cash flow for the next 60 days, can I get one of these SBA loans that I've heard about? And what the bill, Senate bill does, Kevin, is it delegates authority to all 5,000 commercial banks in the United States that they can make a 7A business loan or an express business loan and get government backing for it so we can keep our economy going in the face of this public okay. health crisis. I got this is this is so important. Congressman French Hill's on the line. He's a Republican from Arkansas. He worked in the financial services sector for 30 years before he was a congressman. All right, Congress, I, 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 I'm speaking from folks that I've been speaking with back home. OK, and I'm going to be candid here that they're calling their banks and the banks don't necessarily know what's going on because they're watching the cable news. So who should the banks be talking to, the, like the actual banker in a small town America, who should they be talking to to make sure that they have the most up-to-date information because time and speed is of the essence? Absolutely. Well, we're doing uh, conference calls with the bankers associations. I've been on the phone several times over the last two weeks with the Arkansas Bankers Association. I've sent them the drafts of this bill. I've sent them the small business information so they can be preparing their members to take action to help their customers. I would say all small town bankers, of which I was proudly one, should be calling their state trade associations, getting the details of these small business lending. All right. So that's all right. So I just think this is so important because in in the hysterics of of the the industry people need to know where to call and they need to know that you might be pulling your hair out rightfully so about how slow it's taken to get this bill but there are things in this bill beyond just the checks that will go to middle income earners and low income earners there are loans there are grants there's the small business administration angle there is so much additional things in here okay so this is something super important is to add that our nonprofits are equally able to get those small business loans not just the for-profit business sector that's very important okay i got a question today from someone that i thought was pretty good i want to put it to you why are we bailing out the cruise industries when many of them aren't even headquartered here good point well a lot of their vessels certainly aren't american vessels we don't have anybody flagged in the u.s in that industry but it's a uh important uh, employer of Americans in the cruise industry. They employ a lot of tourist professionals. You know, when I look at airlines, travel, entertainment, hotels, restaurants, about 5% of GDP, and who I really hate this crisis for are all the entrepreneurs in this country that own a hotel, a Hampton Inn, 
They've, they've saved all their life to buy their first hotel property, and their occupancy is zero this week. So the travel and leisure industry is hurt. I hear you on cruise ships, but when you think about travel and leisure, I think about all the hotels owned by entrepreneurs all across this country and the restaurant industry, obviously. All right. Tell me the the other thing that we're we're laying the groundwork for is the fourth round of stimulus. What will that likely include? Not to get ahead of ourselves, but what is the timetable on that? And what do you think that will include? Great question, Kevin. Let's think about this. We've got public health money out to our hospitals, our workers. We've got family money coming in the form of these checks. Plus the family and medical Congressman, leave. can you Plus- stay? Can you stay on the line yeah. for like a couple more minutes? All right, coming it. up next, Congressman's going to stay. This is Kevin Cerulli, Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. We're awaiting President Trump's coronavirus task force uh, daily briefing, which is going to start in about 15, 20 minutes. You can listen to it here live. Congressman French Hill is still on the line. Congressman, I didn't mean to cut you off, but this is an important question. We were talking about the current round of economic stimulus bill, which, by the way, you still think is going to get signed into law by the end of this week? Uh, that's my hope, and that, I have not heard anything to the contrary as people drill down on the details. Okay. So then, then we turn to the fourth round of stimulus, and what do you think that will entail, and what do you think, and when do you think that will happen? Well, we've had the public health money appropriated. We've had additional appropriations that are in this bill, supplemental appropriations for health and for welfare and for our federal operations, including FEMA now that's involved. We've had the family benefits that we've talked about. With this bill, we now get the liquidity enhancements for business. With that, we get almost four months of payments and enhanced unemployment insurance. We get this money through both the Exchange Stabilization Fund for big companies and the small business for small companies. So, Kevin, I think we need to we need to go 60 days and see where we are before we pursue another uh, major effort on the part of Congress. Let's assess where we are in about 60 days. I think we have uh, enough federal appropriations for health and public welfare, plus the rescue package for economic preservation to get us through that point. Now, let's see where we are then. Can I just ask you one final question? Congressman French Hill, Republican from Arkansas, six months from now, come this summer, are people going to view this as a, as a, as a, as a blip or is it going to be a cliff? Do you know what I mean? I mean, is this, is this, is this going to tear down our economy for the next year or two, or is this just going to, are we going to be able to hit a button and go back to normal? We have predictions that show both. I think it's a fundamental change in how we do business, how we look at China, how we prepare for cyber and public health pandemics. So I think we're a changed country. But in six months, I expect us to be a healthier company fiscally and a healthier country physically, too. I hope we're going to get back to we're going to get back. And we appreciate your leadership. Well, Congressman, that means a lot to me. Thank you, Congressman French Hill, Republican from Arkansas. I hope you're right. I'm an optimist. I've always been an optimist. That's Congressman French Hill. Now we're going to go around the world to Munich, Germany, where my colleague uh, Bridget Jenin is on the line. She works for Bloomberg as well. 
and she's going to give us the rundown. Uh, she's Bloomberg German government reporter, Bridget Jenin. She's going to give us the rundown on how Angela Merkel is handling this. German Chancellor Angela Merkel. Bridget, first of all, I am so incredibly grateful to have you on the program. All week we've been we've been talking to our colleagues around the world to see how different governments are responding to this. What's the latest on the German front? Well, Germany just today uh, basically passed, uh, uh, for Germany at least, uh, a record measure package of 750 billion euros. I mean, largely uh, 156 billion is is really debt finance, and and for Germany this is a big deal because so far for the last uh, seven years, um, Germany basically had a balanced budget and they were very proud of this and and they really took a huge effort just not to let go of this balanced budget. But really, this this Corona crisis has has changed everything fundamentally. So the government is putting up a 156 billion. Um, in order not only to finance hospitals and and care, but also just to spend more on social spending, of particular for those who are affected by the crisis, workers and and also um, single mothers. Um, but above all, the package forces guarantees loans and even taking direct stakes in in companies in order to to give them liquidity and also in case there are take over attempts um, just to be able to step in and actually keep keep the companies in Germany. Bridget Jennings on the line. She's Bloomberg government reporter in Germany, and she's coming to she's reporting from Munich. Uh, so that's the financial uh, outflow aspect of this. And and folks, I mean, the bill that they're uh, advancing in in the United States is ten percent of gross domestic product. Think about that. This is more than two trillion dollars. 10% of GDP is what they're advancing. Tell me, what are the restrictions that Germans are under? Are they in shelter in place, or, or what are the restrictions o- over there in Munich? Well, Merkel really um, was, was really careful not to impose too strict restrictions. In her first speech, she said she was against a curfew just simply because she was from the East Germany, and she knows how important freedom is for people. Um, but um, when Germany and, and the rest of the world saw the numbers just constantly increasing, and um, so um, there was massive pressure from from the states basically to take action. So um, just um, uh, just uh, last week, um, she announced that um, people should just not leave their house anymore with more than two people, except if you're leaving with your family members. But um, but you can leave the house to go for work to work um, and go in in the park. But um, any kind of service industry like hairdressers have to close and restaurants and bars. It sounds like closed. that sounds like uh, like what's happening here in the United States. Did she give a timeline for how long it will take until life resumes? Well, I mean, nobody knows how long it it takes. Um, the first kind of restrictions will last for two weeks, but she made clear that um, it will only be lifted once the virus is contained. So um, she also said it's open-ended. So one has to see this really, how it develops, and then it will be lifted so far as for two weeks. Bridget Jennings on the line. She's a Bloomberg government reporter in Munich, Germany. Uh, Bridget, thank you so much for your time. You have a minute left, and I'm, I'm wondering what the perception is amongst your excellent sources of Merkel's orbit, as well as 
at the local level from political officials over there. How do they view the American response? Well, so far, I think um, it, it was seen that the U.S. has um, just um, been very reluctant to, to react to this and, and actually came in too late. Um, also, in terms of talks on, on the G7 level um, and, and G20 level. So, um, so it, it was really welcomed um, when, when Trump acted, basically. So I think they're watching this, this debate now of lifting lifting the restrictions at Easter a bit um, worried because they are worried about global growth as well. And obviously nobody wants the U.S. now um, falling deeper into recession. It wants China is out. Hopefully at one point Europe is getting right. out. And if then the U.S. would get into deeper trouble, right. it would be a problem for growth. Bridget Jenin, tireless reporting. Thank you so much for your time. Please keep up the great work. Stay safe, stay healthy. I'm Kevin Cirilli. Much more next. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. I'm Kevin Cirilli. Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. We are awaiting President Trump's Coronavirus Task Force daily briefing at the White House with Dr. Fauci, Vice President Mike Pence. All of them, they're all there, given the daily briefings, the daily reports. Is he still going to come out and say he wants stuff opened in two weeks? We'll find out. You can listen to the entire press conference here live on Bloomberg 99.1. Joining me on the telephone line to help break down Capitol Hill my colleague, my buddy, Eric Wasson. Eric, first of all, just incredible reporting that you have been doing just tirelessly around the clock. So first of all, thank you for your reporting. Now, when the heck are they going to put this bill on the president's desk? Well, there's been some last minute glitches and this has been quite a week. Uh, you know, I, people are comparing it to Groundhog Day. You know, we're hearing the Senate's going to get a deal finally at 1 a.m., announce the deal. And then we thought they were going to vote uh, midday. And it still hasn't happened, and we don't know when the House is going to vote. The latest problem revolves around unemployment insurance. A group of Republican senators came out and said, you know, the unemployment benefits here would be more generous than people's wages and salaries in some cases, and we need a cap on that. Otherwise, people will have incentives to do layoffs. Uh, that's little Lindsey Graham and Tim Scott, Rick Scott, and Ben Sass. Uh, and then uh, Bernie Sanders came out and said, well, if you make any changes, and I'm going to hold up the vote based on uh, lack of uh, oversight and minimum wage requirements in the bill. So there's kind of a standoff here. Uh, I think in the end of the day, you know, they'll have the votes for this, uh, but the senators have the individual power to basically slow down the process and force them to, to wait until the end of the week. I mean, you would, think, you would think that a global pandemic would bring people together. I guess I was wrong. Guess I was naive. What's this stuff, for lack of a better word, that I'm hearing about Congresswoman? Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, she's going to make everybody come back into town? Well, I don't know. She's, she's raising some objections to it. Uh, you know, Justin Amash also was raising uh, red flags last night, calling it a raw deal on Twitter. He has late, since come out and said he wouldn't, wouldn't cause everybody to come back. 
Uh, I think at the end of the day, Kevin McCarthy, the Republican leader, said they're probably doing a voice vote situation where it's not quite they just all have to agree on it, but they will have you know the ability to avoid a, a roll call vote. We have more and more members going to quarantine just right. coming across the wire a little while ago. Uh, uh, Katie Porter, a California congresswoman who is very well known on the Senate yeah. Committee, uh, she is self quarantining. Uh, just adding another one to the to the list here. So that whether they can get everybody in and have a majority and everything is becoming a, a more and more dicey proposition. Okay, so so that's because you and I are very much in the weeds, but but break this down for me. So if they don't do a unanimous consent which would they would need everyone to agree on this, which obviously they're not going to get. But a unanimous consent would mean that no one has to fly back into Washington to do this. If they do a voice vote in very much, in plain speak, Eric Watson, translate it to the masses, what does that mean? It means the, the speaker says uh, the yeas and nays, and, and the people shout yay, and the other people shout nay, and then the speaker just says the yays have it, and that's it. It's done. Now, they, but to set that up, they also need consent. So it's kind of a, a funny situation, but it would allow them, Kevin McCarthy's pointing out, to come in and have a debate, you know, to have go through sort of the, the motions, but they wouldn't actually go through a roll call tally. Uh, they are exploring whether to do ro- remote voting. At this point, Nancy Pelosi is very much against that idea, saying it could be hacked by the Chinese or Russians, uh, you know, who would go into the computer system or telephone system. Uh, there is a possibility of they might eventually go to uh, proxy voting, where, where one member could vote for another. You know, someone could come in from California and say, I'm voting for me and Katie Porter or something like that. So, uh, they haven't gotten to that point yet. And in fact, we're hearing that Congress will probably go out till late April after completing this bill. So uh, at that point, if the virus is still raging, we may end up getting into a situation where they explore something like that. Wow. Okay. So based upon your reporting, the vote passes the House, the Senate likely tonight, the House when? Well, you know, I actually wouldn't even say, since it's changing so much, that the Senate would vote tonight. I think it may be pushed till tomorrow because this language dispute is now not only about unemployment insurance, we're hearing the abortion issue has come up again. Uh, they tried to sidestep that issue of banning Planned Parenthood uh, and uh, other uh, Medicaid recipients from getting any of these small business loans, and that has come up again, so that might be being tweaked. Uh, you know, I'm not really sure the Senate's going to vote tonight, so we'll, we'll see, but it, it may be tomorrow at this point. All right, so that's where things stand on that front. I, I was speaking with uh, uh, Kevin Brady earlier today, Congressman Kevin Brady, a Republican from Texas, and he was saying in very plain speak that we we got to get out of this beltway mentality and start translating this, what is it, 1,400-page document uh, in, in the Senate bill, something more than 1,000. Well, no, the House was 1,400. This is about about 690. Oh, uh, yeah, actually. just a casual, just a casual, easy breezy, Easy, easy for you just at 600 yeah. pages, just 10% of the nation's GDP. But right. we had to translate it for people. So it's not just the checks. And, and, and Congressman Brady was telling me on Bloomberg Television that uh, you, the checks are likely going to hit people's accounts on the first week of April. Is that what you're hearing? Well, you know, actually, it's a little bit more complicated. It's hard for the IRS to get that out. It could be within weeks for people who have you know registered a direct deposit with the IRS in the past for their tax payments and tax rebates. Um, but for people who want paper checks, we're now hearing four to five weeks. So you know, this idea that you could help people avoid sort of a April 1st cash crunch when it came to rent or 
for their mortgage isn't really panning out. But still, four right. or five weeks would be pretty would pretty ambitious. But I think you know, as Pat Toomey was saying, he did a conference call with us earlier. It's really the the, the business lending facility. The fact that the Fed Fed's unlimited balance sheet can be leveraged here uh, to help businesses a huge infusion for the airlines as well. We're talking about twenty five billion dollars in grants and an equal amount in loans for passenger airlines. Now, there are some strings attached. Uh, it will allow the government to take an equity stake in these companies. Uh, but, you know, these are major infusions for companies that, you know, are really bearing the brunt of this. You know, airline traffic is down something like 86 percent. So, uh, you know, these are major, huge, unprecedented interventions in the economy. And we asked uh, Pat Toomey, you know, you're a free market guy who is not known for this. We said, look, we have an alien species invading our country and this is not, no time to sort of make insistent on free market principles. So, all right. So, so that's all right. On the issue of housing, I, I, I spoke with Mark Calabria uh, in, uh, on Bloomberg Television. He's the FHFA director, the Federal Housing and Finance uh, uh, Agency director. And if you can't pay your mortgage or you're laid off because of the coronavirus or you're furloughed because of the coronavirus or you have the coronavirus – you could qualify for uh, some mortgage forbearance, but you have to call your bank. You have to call who handles your mortgage in order to see if you qualify for that. And you should call them now is what he said. Uh, but don't call them if you, if you don't have symptoms or you weren't laid off or, you don't, uh, or you're not feeling sick. Uh, don't call them. But if you are impacted by this, call your bank. Because and ask them point blank, do I qualify for these these new FHFA guidelines? And he was he was saying, as it relates to renters, even that you might be able to qualify for some for some financial assistance. But it's it, you got to take a proactive approach, and that's really been my takeaway. Eric Watson, has this been your takeaway? I'm curious as a reporter that yes, all of this stimulus is coming and all of these programs are coming, but. W- and the we Americans still have to have to pick up the phone and make some calls if we if we want to see if we qualify, right? I mean, it's not just going to well, snap think, your fingers and have it happen. An interesting, interesting point. A lot of the federal government's going to administer this. The banks are going to administer it. Just have their own personnel, you know, tied up teleworking. But I think as it rolls out, especially the small business loan program, there there should be some uh, you know measurable outreach, as we've seen in the past crises, to, to businesses to sort of encourage them take up these uh, these loans and, and to, to, to find some of the financing. But interestingly, you know, there are additional protections for renters and mortgage holders in this bill that have not yet been signed uh, for foreclosures and evictions to essentially be put on hold. It's not quite as generous as Nancy Pelosi was, was looking for. She was looking for basically the Fed to backstop mortgage service providers and give 360 days of mortgage forbearance for everybody. Uh, that's not in this bill. Uh, but there are some provisions to sort of, you know, especially for those who have multifamily dwellings uh, backed by Fetty, Freddie and Fannie uh, Mae uh, would get some relief uh, here for their mortgage payments. Uh, and also on the commercial side, uh, you know, small businesses that uh, take some of this federal assistance and use it for mortgage payments, rental payments and payroll would have that portion of the loan forgiven. So there's really, you know, a crisis, uh, you know, unprecedented crisis uh, leniency as far as the government intervention in the market here. Eric Wasson, Bloomberg congressional reporter, our, our ace congressional reporter. Eric, tell me one good thing that you reported on today. One good thing? Yeah. Well, <laughs> Give me some optimism, Eric. Well, you know, I thought I thought that just, just hearing them come out and the sort of enthusiasm about possibly having a deal. I know that sometimes these speeches are canned, but, you know, listening to uh, – 
Mitch McConnell and Schumer, uh, you know, sort of actually trying to aspire uh, to higher oratory. The Americans need to come together. And there are going to be people on the front line. The, the new heroes are going to be found in the coming weeks. You know, here I am, uh, you know, facing the same crisis as everybody else, all of our li- listeners, uh, teleworking, et cetera. And like that gives a little bit of hope. So I thought that was a, a, a nice moment. And uh, potentially Congress can come together in the next few hours and complete this bill. All right. I'll take it. I need some hope today. Eric Wasson, thanks for calling in. Now we head down, I think, South Beach, Florida, where Fred Hochberg is joining us on the line. Fred, you got you got out trumped yesterday by the president. We had to cut to the uh, we had to cut to the <laughs> to the press conference. I, I listened that- with rapt attention. <laughs> <laughs> Fred Hartberg's on the line. He's a good friend of the program. He's the former chairman of the Export Import Bank. Fred, how are you holding up down there in South Beach? Well, uh, since I've been staying at home and not going out, if there are wor- far worse places to be than in sunny Florida this time of year. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? All right, Fred. You're also <clears throat> the author of a great book. If you need a book to read while you're self quarantining, trade is not a four letter word. Global trade. And this especially, it's more relevant than ever because of the coronavirus. Fred wrote the book on it. Uh, Fred, I I do want to dabble a little bit in 2020 politics and and talk about former Vice President Joe Biden and how he's been navigating this. You're an insider to Democratic politics. You served in the Obama administration. Let me ask you, how do you, if you're inside of Biden world, how do you get through the next two months while the nation has come to a screeching halt? Well, that's a great question, and I think that, you know, uh, I think Vice President Biden, who is a veteran of working government and a veteran of seeing a number of crises, you know, it's kind of remarkable to me, Kevin, that we are dealing with 9-11, the global financial crisis of 2008, and now the coronavirus. Those are three sort of like black swan events, all within less than 20 years. So um, yeah, I lived. We all lived through it, Fred. <laughs> we all lived through it, and we're going to live through this one. But so, Vice President Biden certainly has experience in government, both in the White House and in the Senate, in terms of how to navigate this, and also not to uh, to be respectful of the process and people in government. So we're just not going to take pot shots um, in, in an irresponsible way. I think you know we obviously have to respect the medical profession, and he does in terms of making the right calls in terms of the health and safety of people and. And with all of this discussion, that's first and foremost. Governor Cuomo has um, been very clear, uh, and particularly with the crisis hitting New York so hard uh, and the need for ventilators and masks and other other pieces of equipment. I think Joe Biden respects that. I mean, I've had a few former companies I dealt with, worked with at uh, Exxon Bank, who are working to bring in a mask to be able to provide them to states like New York and Illinois and others that are in desperate need. Okay, Fred. So that's that's in terms of the political front, but I mean, two months. I mean, you can't fundraise through this. The whole country's decimated. It's it's it's, it's everyone's black swan. I've heard that phrase so many times today, more times than I can count. I heard it again from you. I mean, but the economic implications of this it are are so incredibly real, so incredibly real, and 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 it 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 feels different than two thousand and eight in the sense that you can't even go out anywhere. So how does America come back? I mean, obviously we're going to come back, but how does America come back quickly? How does America come back tomorrow? Well, first of all, uh, as, uh, as you mentioned, tomorrow, it ain't, it's not going to be tomorrow. And I think that, uh, one, we do have a little bit of time to think through how we're going to unwind this. You know, 
During the financial crisis of 08, as an example, there was a lot of concern. How do we unwind all the government aid, the quantitative easing, the buying of bonds? How do we how do we unwind that? And there was a lot of concern, but there was time to figure that out. We're gonna we don't have a lot of time, but we're gonna have time. And frankly, the program to support small businesses uh, through the SBA. Uh, I've been in contact with people and spoke to folks at the Export Input Bank, where I used to chair to make sure that there are support mechanisms so that small businesses in particular, but, but, but economic activity doesn't also grind to a halt. So when we get to the other side of this, and I don't know when that's going to be, um, but we'll be in, a, in some degree of preparedness. But frankly, we're going to be facing, I don't want to sugarcoat it, but I think a lot of businesses will never reopen, will never get back on their feet. Um, I think that, you know, in many ways, companies like Amazon and eBay over the years provided a platform that replaced um, the malls, and I think that's only going to accelerate. So I think that there are a number of trends like that that are going to be irreversible um, when we get to the other side of this. Fred Hochberg's on the line. He's the former chairman of the Export-Import Bank. That's a depressing message. That's, I mean, hearing to well, say... Well, this is a major disruption, and I mean, I, we, we, it only means that we're, things were just going to be looking differently. I mean, I think, you know, I, I've been ordering groceries online for the last two weeks. Um, I'm getting used to that. Yeah. Uh, that's going to change things. <laughs> how many, Fred, let me, how, how many countries did you travel to, or an estimate if you don't have the number, when you were chairman of the Exim Bank? Uh, a remarkable forty-five. I thought that was a lot. Forty-five countries, and as and, and and you know, we think of this through the American lens, rightfully so. We're in this country, greatest country on earth. But when you think of those of those countries that you went to, I mean, the the privilege of this job is getting to travel and to see a lot of these places. And we're fortunate to be in America, where we can pressure our lawmakers to respond to this crisis. But there are many countries, Fred, who are not prepared even by a fraction. Of of the way Europe, the way America is able to prepare. You're absolutely right. I mean, advanced economies is the terms people use. Countries like the United States, Japan, Europe, Australia um, have a far greater ability and resources to uh, protect the health and safety of their citizens. Obviously, it's it's far more concerning in a place like India with the density there. Um, and just the healthcare system there, and, and transportation, and infrastructure, and places like that. So um, this is good. This is a, an event like uh, clearly the world has never seen. Um, President Trump has a formidable task ahead of him in terms of how we navigate this in a sort of solid, uh, somber, and so and solid way going forward. <clears throat> so what role? What what role then? A year from now, twelve months, fifteen months from now. What role does the United States play in reshaping global trade as it relates to that? I mean, you know trade better than anybody. How does, how does trade, international trade, how is that impacted? Because supply chains are, are, are being reworked in real time. You mentioned some of the businesses that, uh, that are doing you, – you mentioned some of the businesses that are, are shifting their supply chains to contribute masks to, to medical professionals. We've been reporting on that all week as well. But, I mean – People get used to, to supply chains relatively quickly. Right. I, I, I was quite concerned, frankly, what I heard from President Trump yesterday. I mean, he, he used the term America should never be a supplicant nation, and he t- 
talked about not just energy uh, independence, food security independence, closed borders, manufacturing independence. Um, that caused great concern. I mean, uh, you know, moats went out of style in about the 12th century, and I think the president is trying to talk about having a moat around the United States. I mean, frankly, we're going to solve the health, this health, this coronavirus working globally. We should take advantage of doctors and medical companies around the world, not just those in the United States. And what I heard from President Trump yesterday, I thought was quite concerning in that regard, because it was very much, we're going to retreat within our borders, and if we just stay within our borders, everything will be fine. And that's a very uh, concerning message in this time. And frankly, it's wrong-headed. It's, it's a lot of what uh, the Chinese have followed. Their model is they don't want to import anything. And I, I would I think it would be a huge mistake for the United States to go down that same path. Hey, Fred, uh, another question for you. How is this going to change the United States' relationship with China, whether President Trump gets a second term or whether it's President Joe Biden? Well, first of all, the issues with China are so beyond trade. They have to do, as we can right now see, this coronavirus talks about global health. Health is not contained within the border. A virus does not respect of border patrols and walls. So whether it's health, whether it's the environment in terms of climate and the environment and pollution, and whether it's trade. So we are interconnected and related whether we like it or not. We're going to have to find thoughtful, smart ways to protect American products, American copyrights, American intellectual right, property. Right. I don't mean to interrupt you, but I, we got like literally 30 seconds, but quickly, I mean... I'm so sick of hearing that the Communist Party of China did a good job in controlling this. If they did a good job in controlling it, it wouldn't have gotten out of Wuhan. So is there going to be any economic incentive to make sure that they do better to protect viruses from coming out of place, coming out of that region? Well, this has been a huge blow to the Chinese economy. So I would say yes. I would say that the Chinese economy and it's the been Chinese a, I got to interrupt. It's been a, I'm so sick of hearing it. It's been a huge blow to Delco. It's been a huge blow to where I grew up. It's been a huge blow to this whole country, Fred. I mean, and, and, and this really infuriates me because this notion, this narrative, and we're going to rip up the script, as Tom Keene says. We're going to stay on this topic for the, for the rest of the show. It, this notion that I hear in the mainstream press that, oh, the Communist Party did such a good job of controlling this virus. Well, it got out of Wuhan. It, it shut down Europe. It shut down the United States of America. Kids can't go back to school. And, and so what did they learn in 2003 after the SARS outbreak? Did they learn anything? Because this is, from my perspective as a journalist, now might not be the time to say, to ask those questions. But, I, I, I mean... It, it it you know it's 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 infuriating that they didn't share allegedly the data and they waited at least six weeks to report the data out of Wuhan. Doesn't exactly. that, as a policymaker, who, who, make you want to scream? Performance. What? Who's praising the Chinese government's performance on this? In the media, you hear, oh, they shut it down. They took these draconian measures that no one else can take. Well, they did, they they didn't get it out of Wuhan. Well, I, you know, I'm not enough of a, uh, of a medical expert to say what they should have done and shouldn't have. But clearly it's a government that operates with a lot of secrecy, without a lot of transparency, did not let the Center for Disease Control to come into China and work on it. And those are giant flaws. 
and they certainly exacerbated. They certainly made the problem worse, worse for people in China and worse for the rest of the world. There's no question about that. So what can America do, Fred Hochberg, former chairman of the Export-Import Bank, to put pressure on the Chinese so that they don't make these mistakes again? Well, unfortunately, what we're going to have to do is slow and painting. It's frankly working with our allies because we have some of the best allies in the world. It's one of our greatest assets. And at the moment, we have thrown them into the dustbin. I always appreciate it. I always appreciate the time. Fred Hochberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CutterEconomicForum.com.